On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. So what's going on, Hollywood? We're here for another week of Growing Up Rock, and we got a fun one here tonight. What's happening with you, brother? Just traveling, my friend. I am in uh, sunny Fresno, California. Fresno, California this week, and last week it was Italy, and the week before it was um, uh, South Texas. I mean, good God, man, you're a traveling man. <laughs> yeah, I'm on tour or, you know, hitman or whatever they say. Hollywood on tour. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, we got a fun one here tonight because we've gotten a lot of really good feedback on the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight that we do in almost every episode that we do, except for some of the interview ones. But we want it to kind of take a step back and say, well, you know, let's pick two or three bands that people may or may not have heard of two or three bands or artists that you and I, we like basically, or we're passionate about and uh, share those with people. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. You cool with that? Yeah. We sneak them in every once in a while on the themed episodes, yep. but uh, a lot of the times we don't get to talk about these guys. Yeah. And I mean, these artists, they may or may not be functioning today, I know that one of the artists that I'm going to feature are no longer together. They actually reformed in a different type of band. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, uh, you know, so it's just it's music that we dig or albums that we dug by artists that we think are worth a listen to. Uh, and so we want to turn people on to that and hopefully turn people on to some new music. Because Grown Up Rock, I mean, we talk about our memories, our musical memories and growing up around rock and roll all the time. But sometimes there's things that we just want to share that may be new or may be old, but gives us an opportunity to share them and turn people on to some new music, right? Yeah. A lot of the times what happens to me is, so I'll come across a band or be a band that I like, and then I jump down that rabbit hole to figure out if any of those four or five members have other stuff. And that leads you to other stuff. And that leads you to stuff they did in their garage. Yeah. And that leads you to stuff, right? <laughs> so at times I have to stop and jump out of the rabbit hole because you get too deep. You sit at home for five days. Oh, completely. And I mean, it used to happen really organically where you saw an ad in a magazine or you maybe heard a song on AM or FM radio or you saw a video or whatever. That, that used to be the way that it happened organically back in the day. Now, for me, more times than not, I'll either see them open up or play a club or open up for somebody, or I'll hear them on one of the streaming services because a lot of times, you know, when I'm on the go, I'll stream playlists that, that they pick stuff out based on whatever I've been listening to, and that's how it works. So kind of cool. 
Yeah, it's uh, I was one of the bands I was going to pick. I ended up not picking them, but I started doing some research and I'm like, man, I really love this song that they're doing right now. And it was this song called Maniac. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's pretty rocking. You know, it's got some keyboards. Well, that's cool. Was it, it was, Michael Cimbella? It totally was. <laughs> it was a cover. I'm like, oh, my God, this is Michael Cimbella's cover. Oh, dude. That's why I like it so much. <laughs> you you weren't able to pick it out like almost immediately? It, it was done well enough to where it sounded familiar, but you couldn't figure out exactly what it was. Right. And then I'm like, well, why would this band that nobody's ever heard of do a cover of a hit like that? That doesn't make any sense. Right. So I heard a cover today that I want to make sure we get into the next episode of covers uh, under covers because I liked it a lot. Put that one aside and hopefully remember the next time we do another episode of under covers. And then each of us got to see a concert. Right. Because I just came back from Warrant Firehouse. Yeah. Tell me about that. How was that? Man, Firehouse, I have not seen Firehouse since the early 90s. And uh, to me, you know, Leverty is an unrated guitarist. You know, it's just one of those guys you don't hear about because Firehouse, unfortunately, got ended up knowing for love of a lifetime and nothing else seemed like. So because of that, the vocal, right, and their melodies is really what makes the music because everything else is usually so soft in the mix. So Firehouse gets on and uh, CJ... Uh, says something to the mic and he is loud, right? I mean, that mic was hot. hot. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, if he sounds like shit, this concert is going to suck ass. Now, is CJ and Leverty are the two original guys in the band? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they write all the stuff, right? Really. Sure. Uh, I think Perry wrote some of it, but uh, really CJ and uh, Bill write, write it all. So he hits this first note. I'm like, oh. That was pretty good. And then they started the first song. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Because they started with Overnight Sensation. Dude, he hit every note. He was loud as hell. I wish guitars were louder. But he sounded so good yeah. that I was so happy. Nice. <laughs> and he did this. I was telling people during all she wrote, he hits this note and then he holds it and like cuts it in a third, holds it and then cuts it. And I'm like, damn, that takes control. Like he has his voice still. Dude, they do Lover's Lane? Oh, yeah. Did they really? Did they, yeah. do, did they do Shake and Tumble? Uh, yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Then it would have been a good, good night for me. Yeah, they did, a, they did a really good job. And then Warren, I mean, Warren kills. I mean, there's Warren has the same energy they always have had. But something that I noticed, and I had not noticed it in the last two or three times I've seen Warren, and I don't know why because it's the same, but the songs definitely have a different spin on them now because – Janie Lane was a real smooth singer. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if it was, um, uncle Tom's cabin, right. So, right. you know, he's singing with this smooth voice, uncle Tom's cabin. And, but with Mason, he's got more of a yelp. Yeah. A so, you know, of, so it comes yeah. like a cabin cabin, right? Like there's this yelp that he has. It sounds good, yeah. but it's not the same. No, it's different. Mason attacks the song much differently than Janie used to do them. You know, Janie does have that smooth quality to his voice. Uh, and then, you know, he got a little bit away from that with the doggy dog record. But there's two sides to Janie Lane, I think, in his delivery as opposed to Mason. I think Mason's just full on rock and roll, right? Yeah, yeah. So the music, instead of having a lot of feeling, is more aggressive now. 
Yeah, that that makes a little bit of sense. But it's still good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Set list the same? Yeah, almost the exact. You just literally saw them like, what, a month ago or something, right? July, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, set list is the same. Okay. Are they working more of the newer material into the set or no? Uh, no, not a lot. Yeah. Uh, just one or two songs. You know, they did Louder, Harder, Faster. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was two new songs. Yeah. But, you know, the set list, you're not, you're not going to change it every day. I mean, that's just not who they are. That's not who um, anybody is. They got too many songs they're yeah. known for now. And then the other thing about Firehouse is because the music is so uh, low in the mix and Leverty does a lot of fills, they really do need a sec- They need a rhythm guitar player. If they really want a full sound, they need a rhythm guitar player. I, you know... I don't know what it is. I just think really every band almost should have a rhythm guitar player now. It just it just sounds so much better live. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get it that some don't, and I would never tell Van Halen they need a rhythm guitar player, but, you know, there's just most, most of the time it just doesn't sound as good or as full without a second guitar playing underneath. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I went and saw L.A. Guns on, was it Monday night, I think? Monday or Tuesday night? The reunited L.A. Guns with uh, Tracy Guns, which uh, I know they've they've been reunited now for over a year, and they put out an album and everything, but I have not seen this version of the band live ever. So I've never seen, let me think about that for a minute because I'm going back to the heyday. No, I'm I'm... 99.9% sure I've never seen LA Guns with Tracy and Phil. Uh, I've seen many different versions of LA Guns all without Tracy Guns. So, yeah, get this. So, first of all, you couldn't get away from them on the West Coast. They played all the time. Yeah, of course. We went on Fan Appreciation Night in 1990. Yeah. 39 cents to get in. Wow. And, and which <laughs> version was this? This was the original version. The original version, okay. Yeah, yeah. This was the original version, and they had just released Cocked and Loaded, and they're on the back end oh, of the wow. tour. Yeah. And they played a club in San Francisco, and uh, The Stone. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't believe it. It was 39 cents. The place was, like, overloaded with people. It was crazy. Wow, that's awesome. Man, yeah. now, uh, you know what? And I'll say this up front. I'm a casual LA Guns fan. I'm not a rabid L.A. Guns fan. They've just, I don't know, there's just something that never hit with me quite on all their music. I do like a lot of it. Cocked and Loaded is a fantastic record, and there's, you know, much, much more other stuff on some of the other albums that I like as well. But I've been sort of, I consider myself sort of a casual fan. And the versions that I've seen has been meh. (laughs) <laughs> you know I, I think i went and saw them at this farm rock thing and they were one of many bands and i kind of left midway through the set or watched it from a way in the back of the room or something because it was just meh. i just didn't really care but that being said this version with tracy and phil I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it was the crowd. I don't know whether it was the um, smaller stage, the smaller club. I don't know. But there was a vibe and an energy coming off the stage that I thought made all the difference in the world with those two guys. 
and it was really, really, really good. <laughs> I mean, the, the set list was great to begin with. It was a fantastic set list. There was a really good vibe with Tracy and Phil, and they sounded amazing. And the rest of the band is fantastic as well. And having Tracy and Phil back together again, it was really good. Sounded really good. Set list was great. How did Phil sound? Sounded good. Yeah, sounded good. You know, didn't hear any complaints. Watched the whole show. Played everything from an L.A. Guns perspective. They played everything that I would have wanted to hear. I'm trying to remember if they played Kiss My Love Goodbye because I like that song. They may have, they may not have played that now that I think back, but Never Enough, probably my favorite L.A. Guns tune. They played that, so it was good. I played some other good ones. So, yeah, it was a good concert. Yeah, that's cool. And then who opened? So that was 90% of the reason why I, why I was there. I've talked about them in previous episodes. There's a band, Linem. And they're from Birmingham, Alabama. And they've been on the scene for many, many years now, probably since the early 2000s. And they were pretty big in the Southeast. They've opened for just about everybody. And they were opening the show. And it was the only show that they were doing this year. And so I couldn't miss that because they haven't played in so long. And the last time I saw them, which was many, many years ago, I've kind of gotten to become a fan of theirs through their music. I've gone down that rabbit hole, as you and I talked about, and picked up a bunch of their records, and they're really consistent with their music. They fall somewhere in between hard rock, a little bit of punk flair, and just, you know, straight ahead heavy metal, I guess, uh, just really good melodic tunes, just a great band. And I couldn't remember kind of what they were like, cause it's been so long since I've seen them, but they were fantastic live. I mean, tons of energy. They were set up in front of LA Gun, so they didn't have, but about a penny worth of space. Um, you know, but they still put on a fantastic show and I was able to sit down with those guys for a good 25, 30 minutes after the show and talk to them, which I've recorded for our listeners. And so we're going to use that uh, to kick off this episode as we spotlight some bands that maybe are lesser known. So I'm going to make Linum the spotlight to kick off this episode. We got a little Linum music involved in this bit that we're going to do. And I'm able to talk to Jacob and David from Linum. Jacob, of course, went out to California and he's living out there now. And he's been part of Steven Adler's band at one point in time. And we talk a little bit about that and we talk about some other stuff as well. Uh, so pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't really know Linum that much. I think I told you this before, but I would buy see, and I still do buy CDs on Amazon and then they'll give you a recommendation. If you like this, try this. Yeah. And slave to the machine came up one time and I'm like, Oh, that looks like a eighties band. So I bought it, listened to it. Yeah. Until yesterday, I thought they were an 80s band. I had no idea. 
Yeah, they've been around. That that record, man, that record, I love that record. Slave to the Machine is a really good, solid record. Yeah, and the new stuff has kind of like a modern pop sound, so it doesn't surprise me that Jacob is out there writing pop songs for others. Yep. It's good stuff, though. Yeah. And the interview was good. Yeah, it's really aggressive. You know, they've got that pop sensibility, but they've also got a harder edge, and, and then there's a little bit of punk flair that comes through to it, and so... Hopefully, I've mixed in a couple, uh, two or three songs. Everything you hear in this interview, music-wise, is is Linem. You're hearing Linem, and check them out. Go down the rabbit hole. There's a couple of EPs out there. Two records that I would recommend to people are Tragic City Symphony and Slave to the Machine. You know, you can try the EPs as well hell to pay and there's a new one out i can't remember the name of it but check them out what else going on anything no no let's uh cut in the interview here and come back with that other stuff all right so we'll get to this interview we'll come back and we'll spotlight the rest of those bands that sunny and i were talking about here you go line them This is David from the band Lineham. This is Jacob from the band Lineham. This is Mark from the band Lineham. And you're listening to Steven Sonny on the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Did we get it? Did we get it? We got it! Grown Up. <laughs> Jacob and David, welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast. We're catching up with you guys outside the venue after the LA Guns and the Lineham concert. How was that for you guys? In our tour bus. We hope you're enjoying your stay in here. That's right. (laughs) I, I, I see the bass player for LA Guns, Mr. Johnny Martin, right there. He's searching for you, man. He's talking to your bass player. (laughs) <laughs> yes, he is. See, the thing is, is um, Johnny and I played in Stephen Adler's band, Adler, and David was also a part of it as well. He was Stephen's drum tech. And Mark, our bass player, played the very last Adler show ever at M3 
So uh, it's kind of a, a big ancestral family reunion. It's pretty cool. With L.A. guns. With L.A. guns. So you guys haven't been doing much lately because you went out to L.A., is that right? Um, I moved out there a couple of years ago. For, I'm a full-time songwriter and do uh, movie scores and stuff like that. But um, the band has never broken up. We never will break up until one of us dies, and then we'll just replace whoever dies yeah, and keep it, it going. We need five minutes notice. We tell each other, look, if you can't make the gig, give us five minutes. We'll get somebody up here that can do it. Did you guys all grow up together? No. I, you would think. Yeah, you would think so. There's a big age difference between <laughs> the bass player and us. So, no, we didn't, uh, we didn't grow up. We've known each other for so long now because we've been together as a band for 17 years. We're always in the way, no matter whether we're recording or not recording. I'm ne- I can tell you this. I've never done a podcast while we go down the road. That's <laughs> This is a first. We're going to Hollywood, man. See you later. Amazing. Ever since he moved to L.A., we haven't been able to play much. And we miss being able to play, as you could tell from tonight. We had a great time. Did all you guys move to L.A.? No. no okay. I moved to L.A. We haven't even seen each other in 10 months. Our last show was New Year's Eve, and we haven't even seen each other in 10 months. So what you saw tonight was no rehearsal, no anything. It was we just didn't us. We talk about what songs we're playing. We didn't say first song is going to be this. We you just, just flew the, in and did yeah. the gig. Yeah. We've never operated on a set list the entire time we've been a band. So we, we always look at the crowd and judge who's there, who's seen us before. If we, there's a bunch of people that haven't seen us before, then we know to go with our strong hitters. And if we see people in the crowd that know our music, like the deep cuts, we'll throw some of those in. So we just always judge it by who's in front of us. Yeah, we're very judgy people. <laughs> How did you guys end up coming together then? So, true story. Have you heard of Christian Mingle? No. <laughs> Christian. <laughs> so, true story, Mark was playing in another band, and David and I both happened to be at a show, and that's where we met. Uh-huh. And David had a show coming up, and he needed a singer, and asked me to come sing, and I did. And we met at a show he was playing. That's what I just said. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with us here. We yes. got we got trains. We got vans moving down. Yeah, we plane, got LA plane, gun people. Planes, trains, and <laughs> yeah. So we were watching Mark, the bass player, at a show, and we met. And um, David had a show that he needed a singer, so he invited me to come sing. And the show went really well. There were four of us. And David's sales pitch to me was, "Oh, well, we get a hundred bucks." And I'm like thinking, "Oh, cool." So we just split it four ways, like twenty five bucks a piece. And he goes no dude like a hundred bucks a man and i was like whoa that's like rich people money <laughs> he just got dropped by another by a label with his old band and he was like oh we get to take home a hundred dollars a piece how many gigs can i do with you <laughs> yeah because originally jacob you had this band that was signed to a record label uh mars, mars electric. electric mars right? electric yeah and that was your first foray into the record industry and and that whole thing and it was we um first experience getting dropped but certainly not your last (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) exactly yeah it was really interesting because i was a poor kid grew up in tarrant didn't have any money anything so when mars electric got a record deal we actually got a million dollar record deal and it made you know the front page of the birmingham weekly and the newspaper and stuff like that but what people don't realize is when you get a million dollar record deal, that doesn't mean they give you a million dollars. It means it's spread out over the course of five or six albums if they don't drop you. And um, yeah, you you don't you don't get any of that Which really. Because at his age, he'd be dead if you gave him a million dollars. Then yeah. who can, who has the responsibility to 
handle a million dollars. Yeah, so really um, we bought a van and trailer and, and equipment and cases for the equipment and everything else. That pretty much ate up the first advance and then, of course, spending tons of money on recording the record and everything else. So my point is, is in, even in Mars Electric, there wasn't a ton of money. So after the band broke up and I met David, a hundred bucks a gig sounded great. Hey, can we play seven gigs? <laughs> can, we, can we play every night of the week? And so basically that's how we came about. And we were playing um, college frat parties. We were playing clubs. We were playing anywhere that would that would have us. And it was a money thing. And we had so much fun doing it. It's like, well, man, let's let's write too. Let's do records. Let's do this. And so that's what we did. You made a living essentially playing cover tunes like a lot of bands. It was our vehicle to give people our original music. Right. Yeah. We, you could go down to the empty club and play every weekend to nobody and build your audience over the course of 10 years. Or you could have a jump start like we did. In two years, we had a huge fan base that all knew our songs. And the thing is, it's like um, a program director in Birmingham for an old radio station called 1077. The X, his name was Dave Rossi. And he is the guy that discovered Hootie and the Blowfish. And he was telling me that's Hootie was just a cover band. You know, they played all the mm-hmm. fraternities and sororities and stuff like that. And he said they only had 10 original songs when they got signed to Atlantic. And that was their first album, Cracked Your View. You know, and then he went on to talk about how the Beatles were a cover band playing five sets a night, how Van Halen was a cover band playing four sets a night mm-hmm. at Gazzari's. And I was like, you know what? That's awesome because. Not only are you playing all these hit songs, so you learn how to you learn the anatomy of a hit song. You learn how to write a hit song, and you just build up your stage presence and everything else. And like Malcolm Gladwell says, you know the ten thousand hour rule. If it takes ten thousand hours to be good at anything, well, we've we've got a ten million hours at this point. Yeah, I mean that's that's how bands did it back then. I mean you were on the road, you were a circuit band. You played every night. You played four sets a night, and so yeah, you you so honed. Came time to do an original show for 45 minutes. You're like, Jesus, we could do this. Yeah, all night long. Yeah, 14 shows a week. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way we were. We told any manager that signed us, we said, listen, all these other bands complaining about two nights on, one night off. Not us. You get us three gigs a day for playing an hour. And you made money, which helped fund all the other things for the band. You know, so it was it was really amazing because we did we made a lot of money doing it. Yeah, we didn't just get by. We we did very well for it. We all paid for our houses with it. And the screwy thing for me is, Lynam came onto my radar. uh, I think I saw you open up for Cinderella. Oh yeah. That's when you first saw it. Wild Bills. That's when I first saw Lineham. Then I went down the rabbit hole and started digging into records and, you know, Slave of the Machine. And, you know, I got the latest EP, uh, Halfway to Hell right. and Tragic City, City Symphony. So I went down that rabbit hole and I said, man, this is really good shit. This band's awesome. And then for some reason, I'm like, Lineham's playing around the corner from my house at the sports bar. I'm like, holy shit what are these guys playing here for i'm i'm going to see the show and i walk in and sure enough there's line them but you guys are playing cover songs i'm like what the fuck yeah well, i want to hear like this or this you that know happened. That, that happened a whole lot like if you looked at our schedule and this is no exaggeration because i will never forget this looking at our schedule on our website we got the call to like like we would go play open up for big national acts and stuff like that and then we'd also play our college shows and stuff I'll never forget looking at our schedule one time, and it was BJCC, 
um, opening for Godsmack, and the very next night it said Big Time Wings, Clanton, Alabama. So we we went from a twenty thousand seat arena to a wing joint. Yeah, we played two hundred one night and the thirty thousand the next. Like it was crazy. But it probably didn't matter to you guys because at the end of the night you were still playing music. Hours on and, stage. Yeah, music in front of people, right? Whether it's ten people or a thousand people. Yeah, we just love playing and everything. And one of the things that we always did, um, like I said, growing up didn't have any money so one thing that we've always done is if my mom was able to bum money from my granddad so we could get concert tickets to go see a show we would never be able to get a t-shirt or a cd or anything like that because the merch was so expensive my first concert was beastie boys the posters were six bucks so i got a six dollar poster i couldn't get a you know twenty dollar shirt but um, one thing that Linum's always done is from we tell everybody every night it's pay whatever you want. So if a kid only has a buck or whatever, we'll still make sure that he goes away with a CD. If they have five bucks, we'll make sure they go away with a shirt, CD, something like that. So That's awesome. Um, it's just about the, uh, playing every night, being on stage, whether it's originals, covers, no matter what it is. It's just playing music and then getting our CDs in the hands of people and spreading our music around. So you mentioned Beastie Boys being your first. Both of our first Both concert. Both of your first concert. Really? We were at the same show, didn't know each other until 20 years so later. So what was your first rock concert? I thought that was rock to me. It felt like it. Like when I was there, I thought it was a rock. So the band that opened up for the Beastie Boys was a band called Murphy's Law and another band called Fishbone. Fishbone. Yeah. So there were, you know, there were two rock shows. But my first rock concert was Whitesnake. My mom took me. My mom wanted to have sex with David Coverdale. <laughs> so we went to the show. Um, and... Uh, and uh, she she unfortunately was not chosen from the audience to be a lucky. She wore the wrong dress. <laughs> Mur- my, Murphy's my, Law from New York, the punk band Murphy's yeah. Law. Yeah, that's them. That's yeah. a trip. I think my first rock concert probably was Poison. I think. Yeah, Poison and David Lee Roth, Vanilla Ice, or something terrible like that. But I mean, <laughs> I've had a lot of bad ones in between. So we like to turn uh, listeners on to uh, music, new music, and a line them isn't in everyday playlist. But we want to make sure that people hear mm-hmm. what we hear in you guys. So pick a song off of Tragic City Symphony See, that's to our, play. That's our favorite CD. Um, yeah, pick, pick uh, one to play. A uh, Heartbreaker Loaded Gun. Heartbreaker Loaded Gun. Here you go.
right, so you guys told us about your first concert. Some of the things we like to do on Growing Up Rock is what what were the first rock albums you guys purchased? First rock album that I ever got, I got two albums in one day from Turtles, Records, and Tapes, and I got Slippery When Wet and Girls, Girls, Girls. My granddad got me both the records it was sometime around christmas so that was pretty cool my first cd god it's so i've saved i've saved by my first because my second one was terrible first was the joshua tree you two uh-huh. second salt and pepper uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no jj fad jj fad even worse jj fad well the ones that i named are the first two that i actually bought the first two that I actually the first album that i actually had my mom got me metal health quite right really that, I think that was a lot of We kids. were both a member of and, BMG and Columbia House. We used the Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, yeah. And, and Sticks Kilroy was here. I had that because of Mr. Roboto. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Mark's back there sleeping. How about your first record? Um, Kiss, Rock and Roll Over. Rock and Roll Over for yeah. Kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what turned you guys on to music? What flipped the switch for you guys and said, hey, I want to okay. do this for, for a career? Was there a oh, moment? We yeah, we got, the moment you get fired from your day job and you're playing music. Yeah. And it hits you, you're, I'm a full-time musician. Look at me. When I was yeah, yeah. born, <laughs> when I was it's, born a full-time something, musician. Something, something you, you didn't just decide all of a sudden to play drums. Most of us are music fans, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I grew up watching Motley Crue. MTV. Yeah. I mean, I mean MTV Pearl Jam's what made me go get a drum set. But I grew up with it during so the 80s. In the ni- 90s? 80s, no. But when I picked out my first drum set was when Pearl Jam was huge. And yeah. That, that, they, they were the reason I started playing drums. Okay. Jacob? Me way before. I started playing since I was a little kid. Like I was, I was always playing piano before I could even sit up. Hardly, um, my mom would sit me at an old upright piano at my granddad's house, and I would just bang on it before I could even play anything. And I was just obsessed with it. But it was Headbangers Ball, Motley Crue, um, first time the MTV I, Generation. Yeah, ever, the first time I ever saw Nikki Six and those guys, I was just like obsessed i just thought it was amazing they're like superheroes when you're kids yeah they are and and poison was one of my favorite bands it's like i just thought they were so cool and the thing is is when you watched all the videos like i said i grew up so poor didn't have anything it's like they had everything they had the fast cars they had all the things that rappers have in their videos today that's you know that's what the 80s dudes had right they had all that stuff the the girls the oh if we can everything. only go back yeah for sure. So how did you end up with Steven Adler? Through the death of Janie Lane, I think. Right? Yeah, so Janie Lane from Warrant was a really close friend of ours. and um, How did that friendship come about? Uh, MySpace. Really? Yeah. That's he, a trip. He found this, this trip. Yeah, he um he was he found Lionham somehow on MySpace. He was just listening to different bands and he reached out and I thought it was a joke and it said it said, Hey, I wanna write with you immediately, call me and there was a cell phone number and, and it was a Janie Lane account and I was a huge warrant fan and I just kinda laughed it off. Um, as would you if you got that one no shit this is an actual true story actual true story that is a trip and then I wrote back something like yeah right and he goes no I want to work with you I want to write I think you guys are amazing you guys are you know the best new band that I've heard in 10 years so I called the 818 area code number or whatever and as soon as he picked up the phone I knew it was him because I've heard heard so many interviews with him over the years 
And I was like, wow. And he goes, so I'm going to fly to Birmingham next week. And he did. He flew to Birmingham, stayed at my house, went out on the road with, with us, with Lionel. We'd be playing a cover show, and he would, he'd be like, I'm going to stay in the bus. I don't want to get mobbed by people. And we go, okay, well, we'll be back when we get done playing. And he would just get a wild hair up his ass and get off the bus and come in. And we had seen him come in, and we'd go into Down Boys. Mm-hmm. And without going, ladies and gentlemen, it's Jenny. We wouldn't say a word. He'd just walk up on stage, grab the mic, sing Down Boys, put it back on the mic stand, walk off stage and walk in. People, while he's singing, people are looking at their phone going, yeah, that's definitely him. That's definitely him. And never acknowledged it, just kept singing, went on to the next song. What's crazy about our music is we started noticing, like when we played with Cinderella, Tom came up and said, hey, guys, Slave to the Machine is one of my favorite albums. My family. Yeah. This started happening repeatedly, and we started going, well, I guess our music kind of sounds, has that... 80s, you know, metal sound. Probably slave, slave to the machine. Was, right. Uh, if slave to the machine would have come out in 86, 87, that record would have been huge. Right. I have no doubt about it. He asked Tom on a whim. He goes, "We're recording Tragic City Symphony right now. We have a song in there. Would you mind doing a solo? Meaning, can we send the stuff to you and you do it up in Nashville?" He goes, "Yeah, I'll come down Tuesday." I'll drive down to Birmingham. We go, drive to Birmingham? No, 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 we'll send it. He goes, no, I want to see where y'all record. I'm, I like the mix in that album. I may start recording there. Sure enough, he recorded his album where we recorded it, and he did that solo for us. It's a song called Enemy on Tragic. Yeah. That's Tom Kiefer playing slide on it. Yeah, he brought a $350,000 1959 Les Paul, threw it in his trunk, and brought an old Marshall head. That well, well, we <laughs> talked about it. Should we go ahead and play it? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Let's play Enemy. Hey, the interesting fact about this song is Tom Kiefer's on it, but all the gang vocals, all the background vocals is the band Hinder. So it's Tom Kiefer and Hinder, so it's pretty cool. Never was a single. Sweet. Let's play it.
That was Enemy from Tragic City Symphony. It's a tongue twister. You got to take a run and start at it. Every <laughs> Where time. does the title come from? Magic City is our hometown. Yeah. So we just call it Tragic City okay. Symphony and since it's an album. Because it's a music. It's Because it's a music. To tell you what it, yeah, that, that's the true story and it's so boring. I wish we could come up with something Collectively, better. that's your favorite record, huh? Yeah. It, the production on it and songs, we think, was the pinnacle of like just where our career was as far as music goes slave to the machine obviously close second all of our fans think slave to the machine's way better yeah i think i think slave to the machine it's just more raw. is it's more not as polished it's more raw and it's more in my wheelhouse as far as hard rock goes although i like a lot of stuff off of uh tragic city mm-hmm. symphony so uh those two records are my favorite the EP you put out, Halfway to Hell, had some good stuff on it as well. So, I mean, you guys are pretty consistent with the stuff you do. I like your band a lot. Thank I you. mean, that's why I'm here. I wasn't planning on coming to the show, but when Scully added you guys to the bill, I was like, okay, these guys haven't been around in forever. I need to catch it's up. It's expensive to get us. I didn't think, I told Scully, we got to fly Jacob in for this. Are you sure? He goes, I'll run it up the flagpole. And he came back and said, we'll do it. And I was like, holy shit. Well, this will be our only show this year. So Yeah. So you come in, you do the show, you fly back home to Tomorrow. to Los Angeles. And everybody still lives in, you two still, yeah, live, still in live in Birmingham. And go on about and we your... Play, we play every weekend. He, do you? he just writes. Yeah. And we're playing, we're in a club or wedding or whatever every yeah. weekend playing yeah they're they're in uh, some great bands mark plays with um a great band called spunk monkeys and then they play with some of the members of that band and they do a band called danger city and david is probably one of the most literally desirable drummers out there because like everybody hires him like every single band hires him constantly yeah. so he's playing with somebody di- he'll be with damon johnson one day molly ringwald's the next day yeah. um, velcro pig meets the next day u.s like it's just it's um he's he's an amazing drummer so well you guys are um you guys are exciting live it's been so long since i saw you i don't think i necessarily remembered how good you were live and when i came and saw you guys i was like holy shit these guys are really really good making up we're only three people on stage so you have to do a lot of energy so let's talk about that because i think when i saw you it was three piece but then everywhere I kind of look, it's, it's a four-piece. Well, when Adler ended, we, Stephen kept canceling tours last minute. Mm-hmm. We were like, enough. Let's mm-hmm. just. It left Lonnie that was in Adler. Mm-hmm. Johnny went to L.A. Guns. Mm-hmm. And Lonnie was just kind of left holding the bag. And we're like, look, we're booking shows. We can book shows. And you're not going to make a lot of money. But we're a 20-year band. We can get you going home with money after we fly everybody in. So he played with us for a while. Yeah. I don't know if the money wasn't good enough or what. He just decided that he was ready to stop touring. Yeah, it wasn't a money thing. It was just, um, you know, he, he is really busy back in L.A. too, writing songs and doing stuff for, like, National Geographic television and stuff like that. He, he does, like, the background music for all those really big shows on that stuff. So it's really cool. That's daughter, so. It's really, yeah. That's a trip. He don't need us. Yeah. <laughs> nah, he he's awesome. She's awesome. And uh-huh. man, I just realized I never answered your question about how I ended up with uh, Adler. But it was through Janie. When Janie passed away, I went to L.A. to his memorial, and I was already out there writing. I've I've been writing in in the pop world for years. 
when I was at his memorial, that's where I met um, Stephen and them. Yeah. I actually met Lonnie, and then Stephen and Lonnie came to my hotel the next day, and Stephen really loved Lionel and the songs and all that other stuff. And he wanted to, he was like, I'm the only original member of Guns N' Roses that has never done a record. Izzy had the Juju Hounds, Duff has Loaded, Slash has, you know, the Conspirators. Axel never stopped doing Guns N' Roses. He said, I, you know, I've done Adler's Appetite, but I don't have a record. And um, I really, really want to do this because we're going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April and all that. So that's how that came about. And yeah, it was a, it was a it was an awesome time. My condition was I had several conditions, you know, uh, stay stay yeah stay stay straight and um and you know in my band line them they're my brothers they come along too you know whatever uh-huh. we do and that was that. So the experience overall was good for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. got to see parts of the world we wouldn't have seen just playing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we got to see Peru. We got to see Japan. We got to see so many different places. That's we cool. got to play with Kiss. I mean, all that stuff was just really really cool so what's next for linum is there a future for linum there is yeah we just don't know know. (laughs) a lot of bands have a good answer for that we just don't know we just play it by ear you know we have fun when we play yeah and we cherry pick good gigs yeah fun gigs like this but you are you are cherry picking gigs yeah so this is you have to i mean we can't we can't go play, you know, two hundred dollar gigs. And do you guys ever go out to L.A. and and meet up with him and play? Yeah, we put, we we almost sold out the whiskey. We played there with Gus G. and we had a, almost sold it out. Because I saw Scully's doing uh, something for Nam show in January with uh, a band from here, like a Van Halen tribute band at yeah, the whiskey. Yeah, he did. He said he told or me something. That. We need to play the whiskey again. After we had that great night there, I don't know why we didn't immediately book a show 10 months out. Right. We says we're dumb. Yeah. We're lazy. <laughs> unmotivated. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. I don't want to keep you guys all night. It's, I can't believe that we ended up getting this interview in because it was just a long night. Yeah, we won't we won't go through the night, but just it took a lot to get it done. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Thanks well, thank again, you, man. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having us, brother. Appreciate it. Thank, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya.
Yeah, it's kind of refreshing. No ego, hardworking, blue collar. I love the way they handle merch. Dude, that is awesome. Isn't that a great idea? Because he's not wrong. There was times I went to a show and I didn't have any money to buy a shirt and I would have loved to buy one. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, bands sell merch to make money, but I think that that's a cool idea. And I think that, you know, I think he's really in touch with the fact he pointed out a several times, right, that he grew up without any money. So, uh, you know, it's all about reconnecting with some of those and being true to who you are and uh, bringing it forward. And, and I think that that's an awesome idea. And, you know, listen, I respect any band, whether I like the music or don't like the music. I respect any band that gets out there and works hard. And back in the day, that's what bands did. They would play four sets a night of cover songs and feed people an original here or original there. And, you know, they do it for uh, six nights a week or whatever. And and you heard them talk about, look, we, we made a pretty good living at this at one point in time, enough to buy houses and stuff. And I think that that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's the case with a lot of those bands that did that. And I, you know, I mean, I know firsthand I was, uh, had many, many friends that did that for a long time that would just, you know, go from, from city to city and do a circuit and play four sets a night. And, uh, that was it. Yeah. That's, uh, refreshing. And I, I liked all the songs you played. I, I got to get into the rabbit hole with them because I, I enjoy their music. Yeah, I think there's uh, several songs that you would enjoy just knowing, you know, your personal taste and everything. So definitely, I mean, it's not a, it, the great thing is, is it's not a ridiculously deep rabbit hole. There's definitely, uh, like I said, the two albums to start with and then uh, hit up the two EPs and you're pretty much there. And so that's, that's it. Uh, but that was Linum. That was my first pick. And we're off and running. So what do you want to share with the listeners that they may, may, or may not have heard? All right. So the first uh, band I want to talk about, and you know, you, you should know by now that my musical library really runs from Motown to European power metal. I don't really get into the Cookie Monster vocals, I guess. Not much of a country fan, a little bit of classical, right? But anything in between, I'll give it a shot. And one of the bands that I came across a few years ago was a band called Firewind. They are a Greek power metal band. And you won't know him by his name, but you know the guitarist. His name is Konstantinos Karmatridos, better known as Gus G. So this is Gus G's band. Initially was put together because he was trying to put some demo songs together. So in, in 1998, he's trying to you know get a record deal, put some guys together, and goes and puts a demo together. And that demo does okay. They get signed. They were har- having a hard time finding a singer. They bounce back and forth a little bit. And then the real band really started about 2001. They have eight studio albums. They've had seven different singers in the last 20 years. So there's people bound, bouncing out of in and out of this band. And honestly, I don't blame them because Gus G spent eight years with Ozzy, right? So 
the guys, you know, it wasn't his number one band for eight years. It is now, but it wasn't before. And Gus G's released some solo stuff too. So Greek power metal is exactly as it sounds. It's got keyboards, it's got heavy guitar, it's got incredible melody and uh, some great vocals. So give this song a shot. It is called Head Up High.
right on. So did you decide to jump down this Gus G rabbit hole? Because isn't he going to be on our cruise? Oh yeah, he is on the, he is going to be on our cruise, but I went down this rabbit hole, like probably about five years ago. Really? Yeah. When I found out that he was going to uh, be with Ozzy. So it's actually a little bit longer than five years ago. I just wanted to know who the guy was. Cause Ozzy doesn't usually just pick up anybody. Like he has some taste, right? And if he's, and people th- said that Gus G was already a known entity and I didn't know anything about him. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anything about him either. I got the one Ozzy record with him, which was scream. He only did the one Ozzy record, right? That's right. You know? And so I just never really felt the need to seek him out. There was the other stuff. The other guy that I kind of missed was Joe Holmes. I never really seeked him out either. And he's, you know, done a lot of stuff outside of the Aussie camp as well. It's just, uh, I kind of miss those two guys for whatever reason. But I mean, I thought scream was okay. There was some good stuff on scream. Yeah. And that song we just played, right? He rips on the solo, the song, Sounds a little Dio-ish, a little Iron Maiden, right? And that doesn't surprise us because, you know, there's some uh, European flavor there. And, uh, you know, if you don't really know Firewind and you don't know where to start because they got a lot of albums, yeah, I would start with The Premonition that came out in 2008. I think you'll enjoy that album if you want to try it out. That's cool. I will definitely check it out. There's one thing for sure. If they're a guitar player in Ozzy's band, they can play guitar. There's no shit about that, right? That's right. <laughs> I, ne- I never even have to hear the Ozzy record. It's like this guy's playing guitar for Ozzy. Okay, well, he's great then. <laughs> yeah, know? you have to assume that with a Dio guitarist. You have to assume that with an Alice Cooper guitarist. Like, Coverdale. These guys don't pick up chumps. Yeah, yeah Coverdale. That's yeah. another one. Yeah. That's the old school, the old guard. They, uh, they do not pick up slouch musicians really. Uh, and that really, you know, we say guitar, but it really, it goes for almost any instrument in their bands. Uh, yeah, those, no doubt. those old school metal guys, they do not get slouch players. So awesome. Well, on to mine, uh, I am 99.9% sure that nobody probably knows too much about this band. Have you ever heard of this next band that I'm going to talk about? No, not until you put it on the list and I saw it today. There you go. So I am going to share a band called Million Dollar Reload. This band is no longer in existence. I think they broke up around 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So they were formed in 2006 in Northern Ireland, and they came onto my radar with a record called Sinner's Saint. And I listened to the record and I was like, holy shit, I like this record. So I went ahead and picked up the record. And the more I listened to it, the more I I just loved it. I thought it was a great, solid record. I'm always amazed. I don't know why, especially nowadays. I'm always amazed when I get a record and I think it's really great. But like you never hear of the band. And, and and nowadays that's kind of normal, I think, but it always just kind of amazes me. I'm like, why is nobody talking about this band or why is nobody else picked up this record or whatever the situation is? 
And uh, this band has had a lot of turbulence. So it's interesting, right? Because you just heard this conversation that I did with Lynam, right? And you, you heard about the whole Adler Lynam connection in that interview, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I picked up this band, I put them on my, on my list for tonight. You know, I had to go out and do a little bit of research because I really didn't know a whole lot about the band. I knew that they were no longer a band. I knew they had broken up. I knew they had two or three records out and they were good solid records and I liked them and that's pretty much as much as I knew about them. I didn't know anything else about them. But before starting to record their debut album, Million Dollar Reload were recruited minus the drummer by Steven Adler of Guns N' Roses as his backing band in his post-Guns N' Roses career playing under Adler's appetite. How messed up is that? Wow. Okay. Talk, talk about a coincidence. I mean, cause I, you know, I had no idea about that. So the band performed with Adler in Ireland after he had fired his own band during the European leg of their 2006 tour. This proved to be the catalyst for million dollar reload to enter the studio speedily and begin the recording process for their debut album. So then this band goes on and they get signed by Frontiers Records. And in 2014, before they put out a record on Frontiers, they have a fight with Frontiers because Frontiers refuses to put out this live record that they had recorded. And so basically Million Dollar Reload says in the best um, career move ever, hey, Frontiers, piss off. We're going to go put this record out on our own so frontiers of course said are you now well that's good you're dropped (laughs) nice (laughs) so they did they released a a live album on their own uh label uh they got dropped by frontiers in 2014 uh and eventually uh, a year later they kind of disbanded broke up whatever the deal is but they became a new band and who in this new band, I don't know is left over from million dollar reload, but they've got a new band called blackwater conspiracy and blackwater conspiracy. I went out and checked out the record cause I've never heard of it. Didn't know much about it. It's much bluesier. It's still rock and roll, not near as raw rock as what million dollar reload is. Uh, but still rock and roll, just much more bluesy, much more polished sounding. So, you know, there might be some folks that would dig Blackwater Conspiracy out there, but I'm going to play this song off the Sinner's Saint record, Million Dollar Reload. And like I said, it's the, really the record is a solid record. And any of those uh, two or three records that you want it to pick up, from Million Dollar Reload, I think you would be okay picking up, but this is a song called Bullets in the Sky.
So when I first heard the song, so I was watching the video as I was listening to the song. I yeah. picked up two things. One, the singer, dude, he could be an ACDC. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? So I don't know why they're messing with anybody else. Go hire that guy. And the second, the two guitarists must be Kiss fans because one's playing a Sunburst Les Paul and the other one's playing an Ibanez Iceman. Oh, really? That's So funny. they must be Kiss fans. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't see. I've never even seen the band. I, that, that's the other thing. The difference between you and I is you go and do your research on YouTube a lot of times. And for whatever reason, I don't. I just Spotify it most of the time. Or it's already in my library. And I just pick it out of my library. But... But yeah, I gotta get. I probably should get better at going and trying to see some of these videos so I can see what some of these guys actually represent live. Yeah, I'm always interested to see if there is a video out there just so you can kind of put a name to a face kind of thing. That's the only reason. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But do you enjoy that song at all, or or no? Oh, I thought it was a good song. Yeah, I thought it was a really good song. Cool. And his voice uh, is uh, very intriguing, very listenable. Yeah. I just thought it's a good solid rock record for sure. So yeah. million dollar yeah. reload sinner's saint. All right. So, uh, the next guy I want to talk about, his name is Gary shut. Nobody knows this guy. And let me tell you some stuff about him. So his dad was a professional cat skills, jazz drummer. This guy started on drums first today. He's recognized as a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, which I've seen him play guitar, bass, and drums. He's a producer. He makes his own videos. He's a gun for hire. He's a studio guy. And he's toured with, get this list, Neil Sean, Robert Zander, Eric Martin, Manichetti, Jolyn Turner, Bobby Kimball, Jeff Scott Soto, Doug Aldrich, Joe Travers, Brian Tishy, and the names just go on and on and on. Jeff Martin from Racer X. The guy is completely unknown. He is a DIY guy, so he basically plays everything on the albums and puts it out on his own label. He has his own record label. He has 19 albums right now, five DVDs. The guy's been in Panic Fire, Diary of an Ozman, Metalheads, E19. He's released stuff under his own name, Gary Shutt. He's been in the pink and Palisade. Been around since, I would say, early 90s. Graduated from the Berkeley College of Music, was a teacher there, taught guitar and uh, bass, and nobody knows who the hell the guy is. Lives in Tampa, Florida. He's got his own website if you want to check him out. Like his band, Panic Fire, so check this out. Today, the band Panic Fire is a cover band, so they play as a cover band once a week. Then they play as an original band once a week, and then they are the backing band for an Aussie tribute band called Diary of an Ozman. So they'll play three times a week in three different ways. So if you want to talk about trying to figure out how to make ends meet and make a couple of dollars, I'm assuming you haven't heard of this guy. Well, you've played him on our show before. Uh, yeah, I think I picked a song from him before. Yeah. That's where I've heard of him from. Yeah. But other than that, no, I have no clue about this guy. Very talented. The song I want to play for you is called Invisible, and it's off an album called Moving Parts. So check this out.
gifted little genius without a Yeah, it's a good song, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good song. Yeah, listen, this guy's got talent. I think I liked the last thing you played from him. Uh, and I, you know, I don't remember what episode that was on. I can't remember either. He's done some stuff where Jeff's done the vocal. Yeah. Um, so we probably picked something off of that. 
there's a really cool video of him and I've posted it before. He's got four squares on the video and he's doing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And he's doing all four parts. So he's singing, he's playing piano, guitar, and bass. And then when he when all the parts come in, since he's doing all the parts, all four little sections are singing. It's really cool. You gotta check it out. It's on YouTube. Well, why don't you share that video on our Facebook page? I can do that. There you go. What's this guy look like? Is he young? Uh, old? Yeah, I would say, no, he's probably in his, uh, I would say late forties, you know, regular looking guy. Uh, is he a long uh, hair? Or does he look like a musician? Uh, he doesn't really, he's got, he, he's kind of got the Nelson hair now. Yeah. You know, the little Bob cut kind of thing. Yeah. He, you wouldn't know he's a musician if you walk by him. Okay. That's for sure. No tattoos, probably, no earrings, nothing like that. A uh, little bit, but he's probably wearing skater shoes and jeans, and you wouldn't know the difference. Okay, cool. Yeah, throw that video up on our Facebook page. Yeah, I can do that. At Growing Up Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> There's your plug. Speaking of plugs, Samantha. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. All right. Just like Samantha said, subscribe to the podcast. You can help us out by going to Amazon and doing your shopping at Amazon through our link on our website at growinguprock.com. Doesn't cost you a penny more, but you help us out. Because we get a few pennies for everything that you buy through Amazon using our link. Um, So it's transparent to you, but it helps us out, helps us keep going. And that's a good thing because we're bringing rock and roll to the masses. Ain't that right there, Hollywood? That's right. You can order an orange. (laughs) You can order K-cups. You can order a sock. Can you order Uh, orange K-cups? You can order you can order orange K cups that smell like socks. Um, Amazon sells everything. I got the list of everything that's been bought right here. Let's see. There's been a tube sock, some tin foil, one cucumber, a six pack of Mountain Dew, some trousers, um, some granny panties, and this plant, and one lampshade, and this thermos. This has all been bought. <laughs> <laughs> and one Jeff Scott Soto CD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So <laughs> hopefully you guys have enjoyed this uh, this spotlight. Hopefully we're turning you on to some new music that you may or may not have heard. You're not going to do your second one? Yeah, of course I am, man. I'm oh, getting okay. there. Hey, Let me talk to the people. I was just people. wondering. Can I talk to the people? Please. <laughs> yes. Sorry, people. <laughs> yes i am getting to my last song i'm going to get to my last pick or my last band and i should say listen we could dig through our catalog and probably find a ton of bands that we're passionate about that maybe you guys have heard of maybe you haven't heard of there's tons of new music being made today that's great as well so it's not just a thing of a past but um Get out there and check it out. Uh, if we get good response to this episode, we'll make sure we do another one. You know, we'll try to space it out. Of course, we're not going to do it next week. We've got tons of stuff to share with you guys, but uh, hopefully you guys dug this. So I'm going to get on to my second share, technically my third if you count line them, but there's a band called Zan 
Clan. Z-A-N-C-L-A-N. Zang Clan. And this comes to us directly from a singer named Zinni Zan. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, it's probably because Zinni Zan was lead singer in Shotgun Messiah before Tim Skoll kind of took it all over and just said, hey, I'm going to sing from here on out. So that first Shotgun Messiah record, which was a really great record, uh, Zinni Zan was a singer in that. Zinni Zan left Scandinavian-born Swedish kind of artist, went on and did some other things, but part of what he did was form the Zan clan with a guitar player producer named Chris Laney. Now, Chris Laney has his own stuff out, and there's some pretty good stuff out there. It's L-A-N-E-Y, so check out Chris Laney. But Chris Laney is the guitar player and producer of Zan clan, and the title drew me into this. When I saw the title, I was like, oh, this has to be good. So Zinni Zan from 2005, and the album is called We're Zan Clan, Who the Fuck Are You? <laughs> nice. <laughs> you nice, get, wholesome record. You got to love that, man. That is, uh, What's more rock and roll than that, right? No kidding. Awesome. So I'm going to play this tune called Go, Go, Go for you. Check it out. Could 
So till today, I had not heard of that band. <laughs> I listened to the song five minutes before we got on the air. Yeah. And I'm like, that guy sounds like the guy from Shotgun Messiah. So now that makes sense to me. <laughs> I'm not exactly crazy because that's the only Shotgun Messiah album I have is the first one. Yeah, that's Zinni Zan, the singer in the first uh, version of Shotgun Messiah. And that whole record, the Zan Clan record, that whole record's really pretty good. So if you like that song, check out the record because you'll dig the record. But they put out two records. The second record, I don't know, sounds like demos, doesn't sound great. I think it's called Citizen of the Wasteland. Just go and get this first Zane Clan record uh, and be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the story with, uh, with Zinni Zan and Zane Clan. And like I said, you can go check out. Chris Laney has some of his own stuff. I went and picked up one of his records and I thought it was really solid as well. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, and I loved Shotgun Messiah. I loved the first record, but I also loved the second record after Zenny left. So That's cool. Well, like you were talking about, you know, there's tons of people we could have talked about, tons of bands, tons of artists. Yep. Hell, there's what I would consider somewhat mainstream artists that don't get enough talked about. Like I, so I'm in Vegas through Sunday. And I'm talking to one of my friends and he's a rock guy, right? Younger kid though, probably in his early thirties. And I said, oh, so you like rock? He goes, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, I really like Zeppelin, like some of the classic rock, et cetera, et cetera. Really likes Greta Van Fleet. Oh, great, great, great. So I go, well, let me, uh, I'm doing this episode and I want to get an idea of like how deep does somebody's knowledge go? So like ever heard of Mr. Big? Nope. Paul Gilbert? Nope. Rival Sons? Nope. Hailstorm? Nope. Y&T? Nope. Striper? Nope. XYZ? Nope. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stop now. <laughs> so to me, those are mainstream bands and nobody knows them. For sure, the Hailstorm. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's a different world. Wow. It used to be when you went to high school and you started talking bands, everybody knew everybody who was on MTV. Yeah. It's just a different world. It's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's been good, but we got to get on out of here because uh, we've shared plenty. <laughs> so, no, I just wanted to say to everybody, the listeners, just thanks for uh, giving us a shot. Thanks for sticking in there with us. Thanks for all the feedback and thanks for listening. Yeah, I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback uh, just in personal messages and some of the reviews. Uh, that we've gotten have been super, super awesome from folks over at uh, Podchaser. You guys have been going to Podchaser and rating the episodes and letting us know what you think and uh, leaving us reviews. We always appreciate it when you guys leave us reviews. And believe me, we see them. Uh, so go on over to Podchaser. You can go to iTunes and leave us a review as well. We see those as well. They don't really have reviews on Facebook page anymore. What they call them recommendations now, right? Right. Yeah. But listen, you guys can communicate with us through our Facebook page. 
You can communicate with us through, well, that's the way you can communicate two ways with us through our Facebook page. But if you guys just go to Podchaser and leave us a review or leave us a rating on the episode, we see those. We can't answer you, but we see them. And the same for the iTunes. All right, folks. Until next week, we will talk to you later. Yeah. You going to shuffle, rattle, and roll us out of here or what? Oh, is it my turn? I don't know. I can do that. All right. He's going to pick out his phone, shuffle, rattle, and roll us on out of here. Until next week, we will talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com that's one word g-r-o-w-i-n-u-p-r-o-c-k.com or visit us on our facebook page at growing up rock and tell us all about it what would you do to achieve the american dream the big house the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? 
Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.